Well, good morning once again. We return this morning to the Gospel of John after our, our detour for several weeks as we looked at Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 12, and the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> so we return now to John, our study that we were navigating through and which, God willing, we will continue to navigate through. So John chapter 9, the title of my message is Born in Blindness. And as though Fanny Crosby, the hymn writer, that we were singing many songs, many hymns just now um, from Fanny Crosby, although she was once blind, now she sees I just want to remind us, uh, review for a few minutes of where we've been in the Gospel of John. In chapter 1, we have the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And we looked at that and we saw that, and it is a chapter that's familiar to most of us. John the Baptist comes on the scene and points people to the Messiah. And then there's the calling of the first disciples of Jesus. Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel. Then a new section. We find signs and public teachings of Jesus. Several signs. And uh, this one we will be looking at this morning is the sixth. The first sign was water, changing water into wine. And then after that, remember the cleansing of the temple as we studied out. Not a sign, but that's what he did. Not can. Um, not included with the six signs here. But the second was healing the nobleman's son. The third was healing the lame man in chapter 5. And the fourth was feeding the multitude. The fifth, uh, Jesus walking on water. And the sixth here, healing a man born blind in chapter 9. And in chapter 1 through 5, there was the gathering of his disciples. In chapter 5 through 8, we found conflict with unbelieving religious leaders as they sought to try to debate Jesus, the Lord. Then we have the outline, really, of chapter 9. We have the healing in verse 1 through 7, the effect that that had on others, verse 8 through 12. And then we have the man who was healed, verse the Pharisees, verse 13 through 34 as there was discussions back and forth, as uh, his parents were brought in, and as he, the man who was blind at one point at time since birth that Jesus healed, he was also excommunicated. The religious leaders threw him out. And then we see and we find the man responds to Jesus in verse 35 through 38, and then Jesus dealing with the Pharisees in verse 39 through 41. We won't get too far in chapter 9 this morning, but I'd like us to read it and get the context of it because, Lord willing, we're going to be spending some time in it over the next several weeks, at least two, three weeks or so. In verse 1, as he passed by Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so the works of God might be displayed in him. 
We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in a pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. He went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were, at, were saying, Is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. But he kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, How then are your eyes opened? He answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay, and he anointed my eyes, and he said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. And so I went away and washed, and I received sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on that day when Jesus made the clay and, the, and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it of him. And he had been blind and received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, He's of age. Ask him. So a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become one of his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he is, where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins. Are you teaching us? So they put him out. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you now. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. 
Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Father, I pray that you would indeed help me to preach your word today by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have quite a comparison, though, at the end of chapter 8 and chapter 9. It's quite an amazing chapter as we read chapter 9, the man born blind and the way that he responds and that he goes on uh, the apologetic and defending who Christ is to the Pharisees. But we have a comparison here between the, what happens at the end of chapter 8, verse 59, and the beginning of chapter 9, verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 59, Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. If we remember where we left off before, the religious leaders were seeking to uh, throw stones at Jesus uh, due to his claims of being who he is, uh, the Messiah, uh, the Son of God, deity. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. But then as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. It seems the time between these two occurrences was brief. Right after that, right after the temple incident, he saw a man blind from birth. As he was leaving the temple, by those who rejected him with stones still in their hand, Jesus passes by a blind man and he shows compassion to him. These two events are right after one another. And we are able to compare and contrast and see how Jesus responds. The religious leaders rejected Jesus, so Jesus departed. They were the proud ones with no need for Jesus Christ, and so he departed from them. Then there's the man born blind, physically and spiritually. And he represents one who is lost and broken. And we see how Jesus responds to him. As it says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In chapter 8, darkness fled when light was exposed. It's like in wintertime, you turn on the light in the garage, And out of the corner of your eye, you see the mouse run, scattering. The light is there. Or worse, in other parts of the country, haven't seen it here yet, but when you turn on the light, there's cockroaches at times. Down in Florida, there's quite a few of them. And some of them fly, too. And that's when someone really gets... uh, uh, crazy when a cockroach flies at you. But anyway... Um, you turn the light on, and it's, they scatter. They don't want to see the light. In chapter 9, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But in this chapter, we see that light produces growth. When you have a plant that's not growing, that needs light, perhaps in your home or outside, that's in a pot, you say, wow, it's, it's not getting enough light. I need to move it into direct sunlight. And if you go by plants, sometimes you'll see the tags on there that they need full sunlight. 
or they need six hours of sunlight or full shade, whatever it may be. But as people, as Christians, we are to uh, continue to be exposed to the light of the world. So we must be in full sun all the time, the Son of God. A.W. Pink gives some helpful insight on different, uh, the differences between chapter 8 and chapter 9 I thought were helpful. I'd like to present them to you as being helpful as well. I'll just run through them quickly. In chapter 8, we behold Christ as the light exposing the darkness. In chapter 9, he communicates sight. Chapter 8, the light is despised and rejected. In chapter 9, he is received and worshipped. In chapter 8, the Jews are seen stooping down to pick up stones. In chapter 9, Christ is seen stooping down to make anointing clay. In chapter 8, Christ hides himself from the Jews. In chapter 9, he reveals himself to the blind beggar. In chapter 8, a a company in whom the word has no place. And we see in chapter 9 is one who responds promptly to the word. In chapter 8, Christ inside the temple is called a demoniac demon-possessed. In chapter 9, outside the temple, he is owned as Lord and Savior. There are also parallels and contrasts between the healing of this man born blind and the healing of the man born lame in chapter 5. Both healings were on the Sabbath. Both involved pools of water. Both had uh, long-term ailments. And the responses were different. And we see the response of this man. He went and defended and proclaimed Christ. Several points for us this morning, but our first point is our, a captive condition. A captive condition. The captive condition is spiritual blindness that everyone is born with. This man here, as, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. This man was blind physically. But as we study this out, we'll see that John, the writer of the gospel, wants us to know and has the spiritual mindset of being born blind spiritually and that Christ heals those born, born blind spiritually by giving them sight as well. Again, it does seem that this happens shortly after the temple incident. As we study this, we find that Jesus heals the man. Then he sends him away with instructions to go do. He says, go do this. Then he leaves him to interact and debate with the Pharisees. We see in verse 8 through 34, Jesus is not present in person in those verses. It's this man and it's the Pharisees and they're interrogating him and the man takes a stand for Christ. He doesn't know much, but he knows that although I was blind and now I see. It's like when someone just gets converted, genuinely saved. And they don't know much, but they know I I was blind before and now I see. I was dead and now I'm alive. I know I was in sin and, and now Jesus has saved me from my sin. Jesus finds him in verse 35 and speaks to him and then to the Pharisees. So Jesus, walking along, seeing the man, doesn't say the disciples pointed him out. We see that their comments uh, in verse 2. The man must have been well known 
Because verse 8, they know who he is. His neighbors know who he is. Frequently out begging, his neighbors knew of him. Several accounts of Jesus healing, healing blind in the Gospels, yet here we have this instance, this single account of a man born blind from birth and being healed. And that's important for us to keep in mind because of the significance, the spiritual significance and component to him being born blind, blind from birth. As we put the pieces together, we see that John has spiritual blindness at heart here. All are spiritually blind from birth. And the only way to see is if Jesus opens their eyes. This man blind physically, he's an adult like others. Ailments that would, he would spend every day that he could outside the gate of the temple. We can read about that in Acts chapter 3. Just as the lame, the lame was being brought there as well, outside the temple to beg. So the, the blind were there, the lame were there. Uh, ostensibly, the, the, someone brought them there. They didn't just go there on their own, obviously because of their ailments. But this man was also blind spiritually. And as we read chapter 9, we see that. Which is a condition of much greater significance. Spiritual blindness. The condition of man without Christ is one of spiritual blindness. That is the captive condition. There is no cure for spiritual blindness outside of Jesus Christ. Salvation in Jesus Christ. No adjustments can be made. No, no balms to be applied. No correction to be applied can allow a man that is blind to see. Only Jesus can give sight to the blind. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This man's condition was unable to be helped by man. They could help him by way of giving him food, by way of giving him coins to which he could buy food, by giving him a blanket and be comforted him by giving him a place to stay if he needed, but they could not help his spiritual condition. He needed God to reach down to him. A poor beggar, helpless, blind from birth, beyond the reach of man, a description of a sinner without Jesus Christ. So there's the captive condition, the spiritual blindness, and then there is the correcting and restoring of the sight. The fact of spiritual blindness and the restoration of sight is something that Isaiah prophesied in the Old Testament, which we're going to turn there. But I'm going to give you a few passages, if you're taking notes, to write down, and I'm only going to go to to one of them, and then we're going to go to Matthew. But I'm going to give you these in Isaiah so you can put all the pieces together. Because Isaiah prophesied of the, the suffering servant to come. The Messiah to come. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Three, four passages actually. Chapter 29 of Isaiah, verse 18 through 20. Chapter 42 and verse 7. Chapter 35 and verse 5 through 6. And then chapter 61, verse 1 and 2, which we're going to briefly go to and look at. Let's do that now. Turn to Isaiah chapter 61. And as you're turning there, a reminder for us that one of the miracles associated with 
what's called messianic activity. You know how someone says, oh, that's paranormal activity here or this and there. Well, what is messianic activity, as theologians call it? It's healing the blind, which we find in John chapter 9. So when we, we see that Jesus heals the blind, we say, well, he is making another claim of being the Messiah. It proves that he is who he says he is. Okay, we're in Isaiah 61. I'll read that for, uh, for us. I'm going to read Isaiah 35 for us. No need to turn there. Verse 4 through 6. Say to those with anxious hearts, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come. He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf, deaf will be unstopped. And then Isaiah 61 in verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So we see that. You read that. Okay. Then we go to Matthew chapter 11. Before we go to Luke chapter 4, which we're going to pause at for a bit. Matthew chapter 11, keeping in mind what we just read in Isaiah. Chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. And this is it. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, their dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. We see that, now we go to Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 4, verse 14 through 21. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he, had brought, where he was brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. 
And he says, he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Could you imagine the people there as he said that, handed to the attendant, sat down and everyone was looking at him. Well, Jesus points out some very important things here. Everything Isaiah said in chapter 35 and 61 was about Jesus. Isaiah's words explained who Christ was and why Christ came. And as we look at this, we say, okay, we're, we're investigating this somewhat, going to Isaiah somewhat, looking what Jesus said somewhat. Well, we're setting the foundation for our study in John 9. The words and actions of Jesus that take place in chapter 9 are other pieces of evidence laid on the table that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and He is deity. He claims it and He proclaims it in chapter 9. Also, Jesus makes His messianic claim right here in this verse, in chapter 4 of Luke, as He stands up and quotes Isaiah. Jesus says who he is and why he came. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, notice that preach and proclaim are mentioned there three times. And that's important because when we think captives, uh, those who are held captive, the poor, blind, and oppressed, Automatically, sometimes our mind goes to, we think, poor people without wealth. We think of those who are oppressed without, um, without a home to live in. And we think of those in society who are oppressed and captive. But this has a deeper meaning as well. It is speaking of those without Christ who are poor, captivated, blind without Christ, and are oppressed by sin. And we notice that the proclamation and preaching is tied in here because it is of utmost importance. The descriptions of those Jesus came to preach and proclaim are spiritual descriptions as well. Listen to what Philip Graham Ryken says on his commentary on this. These words that we just read in Luke 4, these words were revolutionary, but not in the way that most people thought when they heard what Jesus said. They assumed there was some kind of political manifesto. They expected an earthly salvation that would bring a physical deliverance. Some of them wanted him to give the poor a higher standard of living, a social revolution. Some wanted him to heal the sick, a medical revolution. Others wanted him to overthrow the Romans, a political revolution. Jesus had the power to do all of that, but it's not what he was called to do. That's not why he came. People were looking for eternal kingdom. They were frustrated when Jesus failed to bring it. Yes, he fed the hungry, gave sight to the blind. He helped people in their physical ailments and healed those with their physical ailments. He released people from satanic oppression. Jesus cared for people's bodies as well as their souls. His miracles helped to prove that he was the Christ, showing that God's kingdom had come. Nevertheless, they were not his primary purpose. What was his primary purpose? He came to seek and to save that which was lost through the gospel of Christ. Did everyone's physical condition change when Jesus preached to them? No. Did their spiritual condition change? Yes, those who responded to the message. 
those who were called before the foundation of the world. So to those who were poor in spirit, impoverished in spirit, there's riches in Christ. To those who are captive and and slaves in their sin, there's freedom in Christ. Those who are oppressed and crushed, suffering the evils of this world and oppressed by the way of demonic oppression even, there is release, redemption, and reconciliation only found in Christ. To the blind, those who are in darkness and cannot see, Jesus offers sight, light, and illumination. Those who are described as in poverty, captivity, and blindness, and oppression, these are the ones whom Jesus came to save. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So there's the captive condition, the spiritual blindness. There is the correcting and restoration of sight that only Christ can bring that was prophesied in the Old Testament and specifically those brief verses that we looked at in in Isaiah. And then there's the cause and effect. The cause and effect, our third point. What causes spiritual blindness? Well, the easy answer to that and the simple answer to that is sin. What's the effect of one being spiritually blind? They, they are in sin. They are born in sin. They have the in, inherited guilt. They have, uh, they're born with a sin nature. They are depraved without Christ. But what's the effect? They're blind to their need for a Savior. Blind to the teaching of the Scriptures. Also blinded by Satan. 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. But we remember what the Lord said to you, the Apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 26. I'll just read it for you in, in verse 18. He says, I'm, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So the question to be asked this morning, is anyone in here blind spiritually, in bondage to their sin? Christ came to set you free, to forgive you, to give you sight. By his death on the cross, our our sins were forgiven. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. And that can be true of any in here now who would turn to Christ. The gospel is for all who would respond to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance. When Jesus shines his light on a soul, you will see and you will believe. If you're blind who Jesus is, And you say, I don't know who he is. Pray for him to give you sight that you can say and agree with Luke chapter 2, for my eyes have seen your salvation. So there's a captive condition. There is correcting and restoring of one's sight. There is the cause and effect. And then there is the corrective 
lenses. Have your eyes been opened already? For anyone who is in here who is born again, who is a child of God, your eyes have been opened. We know Christ. Their following reminder is for us. Just as sin clouds judgment in our lives, and that's something that I, I counsel people who are a couple who is dating, courting, uh, engaged to be married. And I remind them that sin clouds your judgment. Or maybe someone who's looking for a spouse and you go down roads you're not supposed to go down in immorality and in sin. It clouds the Christian's judgment. That's just one example. Just as sin clouds our judgment in our lives, our sin affects our sight. It blurs our vision. We do not see as we ought to. Once in a while, I have migraines. And some of you may have migraines in here and you suffer from them. And um, I suffer from them as well. And, And I assure you that sometimes they are actual migraines. You know, sometimes there's the flu and then there's the man flu that people joke about. Um, seems like uh, sometimes ladies can deal with uh, the flu and other things a lot easier. It just seems to go better for them for some reason at times. And then a man gets laid up and it's, you know, and he really is sick. But at times he's made fun of and, he, you know, it's, it's calling it the man flu. It's really not that bad, but we know at times it is. And pray for me that, uh, that I'm saying that I don't get that or get the flu or something, but wouldn't that be interesting? <clears throat> but nevertheless, I get uh, migraines, ocular migraines. One brother here, we were talking about that recently. And uh, once in a while, I get these seldom. I get the regular migraines or what's coming on. I have a remedy for that. But the ocular migraine, once it sets in, I can see, but... There is a big gray spot in front of me to where if I was looking out at you now, I could see over here somewhat, but I could not see right here. I could not see where I'm going. I could see to the sides. I could function somewhat. The best way I can describe it is when you get up really quick uh, out of bed or whatever and you black out or you feel that feeling and it just goes hazy. That's what it's like for me to have an ocular migraine sometimes. Sin in a believer's life is like having an ocular migraine, if I can use that, uh, that parallel there. It affects our sight. It blurs our vision as we're supposed to keep our gaze on Christ, our desire to keep our gaze on Jesus Christ and have our affections above. And then if there's sin in our life, we, we don't see clearly as we ought. When we're backslidden as believers... When we have unconfessed sin in our lives, or certain sins that, that weigh us down, and we do not see as we ought to. We must be willing to confess our sins before God and man. We already see He has opened our eyes. At times, our vision spiritually gets blurry, and we need to get right with God and get right with our brothers and sisters and whomever we have maybe offended. Also, once our eyes are open, Christian, Once our eyes are opened by Jesus Christ, we see and we can no longer give a blind eye to indwelling sin in our own lives. 
or a blind eye to those in our family who are uh, in indwelling sin and, and, and unrepentant. We must deal with it as we can with the word of God and with prayer and living the life before those who are struggling with indwelling sin, perhaps in our, in our families. Well, we're all struggling with indwelling, indwelling sin at some level, but a blind eye to indwelling sin, we, we, we ought not to... to um, to see that way or to have a vision that way and to walk around as if we see nothing in this world because we're keeping our hands over our eyes and just looking to wait until whatever may come and separating ourselves instead of engaging with the, with the world, with the gospel. And we notice when Jesus came, as we saw in Luke 4, what was what he said uh, threaded with proclamation, preaching, the gospel. So we have physical needs, genuine physical needs that people have. But it needs to be threaded with the gospel because we could help someone physically make their life better on this earth, help them out. And in some ways we can, in some ways we should. But if we stop short of giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ and they die without Christ, and we have the treasure of eternal life, and we have the word of God and we can proclaim it to them. We're no longer to walk around covering our eyes to sin. We see clearly now. But we must also be careful not to look to take the speck out of another's eye, right? When there's a log in our own eye. We must constantly be examining our own heart, searching our own heart for what sin may be within us but not resting there, resting on Christ's finished work. Brothers and sisters, the blinders have been removed. It's our responsibility as believers to nourish our spiritual vision, vision that God has given us. Cultivate that spiritual vision that God has given us. He's opened our eyes. We're to cultivate that so that we do, our eyes do not grow dim. And then we have the celestial scene. Celestial scene. Our vision to be made perfect in the age to come for believers. In 1 John 3, I'll just read this for you. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. He says, behold, it's a, it's a command. Behold how great a love the Father has bestowed on us who believe that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are called children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what it will be. Here's the encouragement for us. We are justified in the process of being sanctified Christians, not yet glorified, but one day we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. As Revelation 22, 4 says, they will see his face. That's what we look forward to, Christian. See in our Savior, Jesus there are such beautiful sights in this world that we live in. God's creation. 
We could go on and on about the different places we visited and how beautiful it is. It will not compare to the glories of heaven. And with all the glories and beauties that heaven will bring, nothing will compare to when our faith becomes sight. And as we can see now, what God reveals to us now as we walk with the Lord through his word, even the, the glories of heaven, we will, our focus will be Christ Jesus, just as he is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for opening up our eyes. Everyone in here that you have given sight was blind spiritually and walking in a direction that would ultimately end up in hell. But praise be to God, you have opened up our eyes to which we may see. You have called us and saved us for those who know Christ. Lord, we ask this morning that those in here who are blind spiritually, that you would open up their eyes. They know not you, Lord. If they died without you, they would perish. We ask that you would open the eyes of the blind. For those of us in here who do know you, you've opened up our eyes. Let us not cover our eyes as we walk. Let us not give in to the temptations that are sinful and that blur our vision, that cloud our judgment. Like walking through a fog knowing we're going to get somewhere, but we cannot see it. Thank you that he who began a good work in us will complete it. Thank you that we have the promise of heaven. We have the promise of being with you. And we will see you. In Jesus' name, amen.